Hey everybody, it's Josh, founder of Intelligame.us, a game culture criticism site where we connect games with the real world. Today, I've got a special bonus episode of Intelligame Radio for you, one that releases alongside the announcement of an upcoming game featuring famous actress and writer Issa Rae. Insecure, the come-up game, is a mobile title that will release alongside Season 4 of Insecure, an HBO series following protagonist Issa D as she and her friends look for happiness in Los Angeles. On this episode of IGR, I interviewed Dr. Mitu Kandekar and Latoya Peterson of Glow Up Games, the studio responsible for the upcoming title. As the director for technology and director for the culture, respectively, they help bring a focus on making diverse, inclusive games alongside their third founder, director for creative production, Tara Mustafa. Over the course of the interview, Mitu, Latoya, and I talk not just about the upcoming game, but also their founding philosophy behind Glow Up Games and the ways they want to affect change in the game industry. As a studio run by industry veterans, who are all also women of color, Glow Up is shooting to take on projects they feel uniquely suited for. They also brought in other creative talent to work on the game as well, particularly its unique, rap-based minigame. You'll hear a couple of names in the episode that are familiar if you've listened to past episodes of Intelligame Radio. I hope you'll enjoy hearing the discussion overall. Some notes before we get started. There are a couple swears in the audio that reference Issa's inner rap persona in the show, a warning for sensitive audiences. We're also meeting over the internet, which this time comes with a couple audio catches that shouldn't disrupt the overall quality of the interview. As always, send comments or questions to me at josh at intelligame.us, or you can tag us on social media at intelligameus. Enjoy the interview. Mitu, Latoya, thank you so much for being on this special episode of Intelligame Radio. How are you doing today? Good, yeah. Thanks for having us, Josh. Tell me a little bit about how you got started on this uh, this project with Insecure. Yeah, so uh, I guess I'll start and Latoya, feel free to chime in because it's just been kind of a, a wild journey all around. Latoya and I and our third co-founder Tara as well, um, you know, the three of us are all women of color from different backgrounds. And we came together to start Glow Up Games because we recognized that, hey, the games industry is just not having the same moment of realization that sort of other industries have had about, hey, like telling stories about people of color is not only really good business, but, you know, it's something that can have real cultural impact as well. We just recognize that games need to have that moment. The three of us are, you know, the the people to do it. We were kind of, you know, jamming on uh, some original projects. And it was amidst that sort of that, uh, I guess, sort of word got out through the grapevine that we were starting Glow Up. And we were actually approached, you know, by HBO and we were basically just, you know, talking to them about what we're doing at Glow Up and what our mission is. And it sort of just came about that, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we could work on a project for Insecure? The three of us are huge fans of the show. And we also just recognize that, you know, for us as a company, um, you know, we're just so inspired by Issa Rae's story how she came about making Insecure. And she's definitely, you know, one of these creators of color in the sort of TV space and also now in the film space, who's, you know, really driving that change to bring more uh, stories about people of color to fruition. So yeah, we we basically were just like, hey, we'd be really, really excited to work on a tie-in game for Insecure and the rest is history. <laughs> that, is a, that is an extensive history. <laughs> uh, 
so let's let's start off by talking a little bit about glow up games. Uh, Latoya, me too. I imagine that you have a bit of a history that brought you together to make glow up in the first place. Can you talk a little bit about how you two got started? Yeah, Latoya, do you want to talk about your background first? Yeah, sure. So, hey, this is Latoya speaking. Mitsu and I have known each other for ages and ages and ages because we have both been in, I guess I say I'm games adjacent, and Mitsu has been in the games industry for ages and ages and ages. Um, I wrote about games back before, oof, so long ago. The Escapist paid 25 cents a word in about 2006, I want to say. I was blogging for a site called Racialicious, which was about race and pop culture. And um, I was also a gamer, so I would also write about those things. Later, I wrote for an all-women's magazine that doesn't exist anymore called Cerise. That was run by Andrea Rubenstein and Robin Fleming. And again, like this is all digital dust, like the Iris forums are dead. All these things were happening, but it was a magazine by and for women who played games. And I really enjoyed doing that. And so later, as I kept writing, I wrote for Kotaku and I wrote for a bunch of other outlets. I wrote for some of the places that I worked for, like Jezebel about games and video games and race and representation um, and gender representation in particular. And I think that's about the time the two and I started following each other on Twitter. Kind of, you know, there's not that many of us who are of color in the industry. And there's even less, I think, writing or talking really critically about race. And so, you know, I think when I was back when I was doing criticism, it was like me, Evan Narcisse and Guy Kroll, who's now out of, he was at Newsweek at the time and yeah. now runs his own company. But like, it was a very small world <laughs> of people who cared about kind of racial representations in games. And so we would talk quite a bit about that and have those conversations. And, you know, Mitsu and I got connected, I think, before, back when you lived in the UK, right, Mitsu? That's right. You were, you were still in the UK. And so she actually um, moved to New York and started teaching at NYU. And so I popped by to see another friend of mine in the games industry, Matt Bach, um, who used to be creative director at Harmonix, I think was his last title before he went to NYU. And Matt was like, hey, my coworker says she knows you and wants to meet you. Um, you know, you said follow yourself on Twitter. I was like, oh, who's it? Oh, Mitsu, of course. And uh, yeah, I think that was our first lunch like five years ago. It was. Wow. Yeah, it wow. was. <laughs> so that's that's how that started. It was a slow burn. Wow. It starts from Twitter mutuals all the way to co-founding a studio. Yeah. I mean, Twitter has, you know, for better or worse, it's done a lot for all of us, right? <laughs> <laughs> it gives and it takes. It gives and it takes. <laughs> yeah. The Twitter giveth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like now there's this moment where we're starting to see more people of color, more women, more traditionally marginalized folks getting these positions of power and being able to shape some of the ways that the game space is able to move. What ways do you feel like being a being a studio that's run by women of color? What ways do you feel like you're able to to take on some of these situations and projects in sort of new ways that perhaps isn't uh isn't as usual in the game space. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the reasons why, you know, the three of us really came together is because, you know, we're, we're women who've been in these spaces for a long time. And so we have a certain sort of position of privilege almost because we've been around. My first um, startup in the game space was actually about 11 years ago when I did a location-based game startup. And then after that, you know, I was making indie games, I was consulting, like I did a doctorate in designing games for virtual reality, been a professor at NYU teaching game design for the last five years. Um, and I also, you know, I also previously was the co-founder of an AI startup as well, uh, which I actually left to start Glow Up. So, you know, sure. I think having been sort of, you know, being sort of mid, uh, you know, mid to later career, 
I think that's kind of, you know, uh, you know, I've had experience at like starting companies at like raising capital, uh, so, you know, shipping games like our third co-founder, Tara, who, who can join us for this. But she's she's a woman who's been in like the game space for over 15 years and she's, you know, primarily been in AAA. And, you know, a shocking statistic that she always tells and you know, I'll tell it for her here is that she in her 15 years of working in games has never had a female manager on the design side which wow. is kind of kind of shocking and kind of amazing. So, you know, when you look at it, I think, you know, it's definitely true that the pipeline into games has improved for women, for minorities, for all kinds of folks. Um, but there is still the problem of the leaky bucket, right? Like games, as we know, can be, you know, quite frankly, a toxic place for a lot of people if you don't fit a certain uh, mold of what you look like or, you know, even the kinds of games that you talk about. So... Sure. There's there's fewer of us who've kind of been around for a while. And I think for me, at least, and I'll let Latoya speak to this from her perspective, but for me, at least, it's really a sort of question of, okay, we're the ones to do it because we can afford to do it. So that's really the the kind of approach that I've taken with, with this. You know, it's like, you know, if not, if not now, then when? And if, uh, if not us, then who? Yeah, true. I mean, to build on what Mitzi was saying, like, so I came from a media executive world. And I was mm -hmm. on a newsroom. So I did that before. I was the gamer in the newsroom, but I was a journalist and not necessarily a gaming journalist, right, before this. And one of the things that's really interesting that we talk about, uh, particularly in corporate management, is that, you know, you can say you can talk about a pipeline problem and you can talk about a leaky bucket, but it still is kind of camouflaging some of the issues. And some of the big issues are, one, like women never get that first promotion. So we call it like the first step up to manager. You actually have power to have control, to have clout over what's happening, what's going through studio. And so often, even just in perception, and like we've all felt it again with, um, I think each of us has individually 10 to 15 years of executive experience under our belts. Right? Like This is not, we are not, uh, this is not our first rodeo in any sure. way, shape or form. And even still, like just getting the kind of instant doubt that, you know, a male team probably would not get uh, has been really illuminating and interesting, particularly because like the first thing people tend to comment on, it's like, oh, you guys have such great backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Then later, some of the questions are like, well, do you make games? Who's your main coder? Like, you know, Mitsu is a electrical engineer <laughs> with a PhD <laughs> in aesthetics and spatial computing. Like it was just, I mean, to me, it's, you know, it, it's, it's kind of ama amazing in a lot of ways um, how hard people work to exclude um, those of us who are either, you know, from some marginalized identity, either women or people of color or a queer identity from these ranks of management. And when you come from the corporate environment, like they are always talking about it. They're always trying to get people in. Let's fix this pipeline. But if you're not getting the opportunities that lead you to management, if you're not able to move up in your career, if you have to downtrack your career and games is very notorious for this in terms of like the whole idea of crunch and valorizing crunch, uh, which makes it really difficult for people with children. Right. So I have a six year old and it's a very, yeah. you know, one of the first DC talks I watched about trying to at least do indie dev was, you know, having kids is indie dev on hard mode. Like this is a really difficult thing to do already. And if we allow the cultural norm of the industry to dictate that um, it becomes a lot tougher. I luckily have not had the problem that Tara said with many great and amazing female managers throughout career through newsrooms, which is also still tough. Like it's not great. Gaming is making media look good, which is uh, really sad. <laughs> you think yeah. about it. Uh, we used to joke at one of my old jobs, there were more men named John than women on the executive team. <laughs> <laughs> and like I said, I've worked at a lot of different places that um, are, you know, have different focuses. But um, one of the things that I think makes uh, it difficult to look and see a career 
is that one, the career and the lifespan is so short. So, I mean, Tara has been in the game 15 years, but the average like veteran of the industry is five years in and just five mm. years in journalism, you're not mid-career then. Right. And so it's an interesting, like the timeline is so much shorter in gaming. And then when you get to the folks who have shipped and launched a huge game and gotten profits from that and are able to reinvest that into new games, new projects, new studios, you're trying to talk to about a really kind of specific um, subset of people who are creating and making games. And so, you know, even when we got into here and we're trying to recruit, we're trying to hire, right? We want lead engineers that are reflective of the backgrounds of, you know, the show and the team that we've already built. We want to see, um, you know, the types of people in the C-suite. And Absolutely. there's just, there's not a deep bench at all, right? Searching for yeah. board members, like the bench is really shallow. And even like luminaries, like with Nicole Bradford, right? She left Blizzard Vivendi five years ago. Uh, you know, Reggie, <laughs> Reggie from Nintendo is the largest person you can point to. He's retired now. So who else is taking these spots? And it's, you know, that's, I think, one of the things that we're trying to address with Glow Up, where you can see um, not only people of color in, this, in executive positions, but also women in executive positions, women in high up positions. And the fact that we're making the types of games that we've played and not necessarily the types of games that people associate with women. We get a lot around like, oh, are this for casual gamers? Are you making a visual novel? And there's nothing wrong with those things. Like we don't want to devalue uh, what women tend to like in the market. But in terms of the conversation that happens, it's interesting that people can't see what we're offering. Where, you know, we're a studio that loves MMORPGs. We love fighters. We love RPGs. We love platformers. We love all kinds of games. We are female. Yeah. There's this yeah. idea that, oh, of course you're going to try to make the next, you know, visual novel game. Yeah. I'm like, right. I still have the Counter-Strike trophy I won when I was 17. CS 1.6. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, I was on that esports shit before esports was a thing. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I was trash at CS. So I, I, <laughs> I won't play you in like in anything. It's fine. Um, oh, don't worry. Those the, I'm old now. So those skills have atrophied. I know. It's the worst. <laughs> it's like when I go back to Smash, I'm like, oh, I can't can't even make this thing work the way that it used to. But no, but it's this idea, again, like that you can look at someone and decide who they are as a player. And we know that's wrong, right? Even in just like the preliminary research that we've been doing for Glow Up of just trying to figure out how do we define this market? How do we define people we're talking to? Yeah. And it's you can't guess by who someone is what games they love. Doesn't work. And yet there's still this idea that we're going to get slotted or women can be slotted uh, across all age groups, across all brackets, across all demographic items as one type of player. And we know this is wrong because we've lived it. Yeah. Well, I feel like this is a good segue into the come up game, the game that you're putting together for Insecure. Tell me a little bit about the, the design process, about the game itself. So the game is a mobile game um, and it's a very story driven game, but it's got some super unique things about it, which we're really, really uh, proud of. Immediately when we were sort of talking with HBO and pitching this game to them, you know, for us immediately, we were like, hey, Insecure is a show about Issa, you know, Issa D, all of her friends just like living their lives in LA. And it's really, you know, obviously it's about her trying to manage her her work and her friendships and her love life and all of these things. And we were like, this is just like a life sim ready made, <laughs> right? Like it's, yeah. it's already kind of lends itself to a life sim structure. So the come up game is a, so it is a life sim. It's a story driven life sim. But one of the things that's really cool and unique about it is the, uh, we actually have uh, one of the key components of the game is a 
rapping uh, based mini game called Mirror Beats. So if you know the show Insecure, you'll know that one of the things that Issa, the character, does is she will hype herself up by uh, rapping it uh, at her mirror bitch in the mirror. It's, you know, this really super charming, super relatable part of the show. And we were like, okay, we need to translate this into a gameplay mechanic. So that's basically what we've done. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that's been really fun about designing this game is that you could play around a lot with the mechanics because there's a, I think there's a path that Hollywood tends to follow when they license for certain types of games where it's like, okay, we're going to just kind of plop this in visual novel style. Let's choose your own adventure, except you're in the character's world and that's all you have to do. And so when we approached this, we knew we wanted one part to be a life simulator, right? Because that's essentially what the show is about. The show is about your friendships and your relationships and how you balance all of those things as you get into your 30s, which is the tougher part. I mean, the show opens with Issa on her 29th birthday, trying to figure out if she's made the right decisions in her life, which all of us can relate to. Yep. Yep. That feels real. It's real, surreal. So we were like, okay, so what types of things? So the first part that we you know, started working out was this idea of complex relationships and not just with romantic leads, which is what you normally see um, and, 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 you know, in media in general, it's kind of like the primary goal of your life is finding your life partner and finding your romantic partner. Right. Whereas, you know, what we know from research and from science and from our own lives is that you actually need a network and you need like your squad around you. And so we really started looking at how do we look at the complications of relationships and particularly like the hard part of handling adult friendships in your 30s and your 40s and, you know, trying to navigate all of these outside pressures where you, you know, you might be in a relationship, you might be pregnant, you might be, you know, having a child, you might be working in a really severe industry and all those things pull at your time and attention that you have to spend with your friends. Mm -hmm. We first started thinking about like, what is a realistic kind of friendship? based game what is a thing that you know you know with dating still being a part of the world but what if it was really just centered on the lives of you and your friends and you know the conceit of this game it's Issa, molly kelly and tiffany who are your closest friends in your squad and your relationship with them will go up and down and what happens to you when the game goes up and down depending on um, where you are with your relationship and your relationship stats within the game um, the second piece of it being mirror uh, mirror bitch which is directly based off of what Issa does. <laughs> um, but also, you know, we realized that there wasn't a really great rap game that was out and not since like Parappa the Rapper, which came out in 1996 when I was still in middle school. Mitsu, how old were you in 96? Like, uh, Yeah, I'm like a year younger than you. So yes. Yeah, so, you're, yeah, so you were also, also in middle school, right? Like, it was like, like yeah. this was, you know, we are full on adults now and there has not been another big rap game yeah. since Parappa. <laughs> and like, you know, we, we were doing the research particularly around uh, these roles and there's, apps that are around you know rap and creating rhymes and lyrics but there's in some things that are rhythm action that take place with like hip-hop soundtracks but there's nothing where you kind of like go and compose and definitely nothing where like the world kind of responds and your character responds to what you're writing and composing in the mirror we really spent a lot of time trying to develop out this piece just because it was something that hadn't been done before um, I'm very good friends with Anango, who uh, raps as Samus. Samus, so good. Yeah, we probably should have said that earlier. Yeah, like this is, yeah, Samus <laughs> is is a part of the Glow Up team. And like we are, like, how many teams can you say have a rapper as part of the team? Which like, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so, that's yeah. dope. I don't remember when we started talking to her. We started talking to her at some point. <laughs> well, I think just, I mean, for me at least, I was like, as soon as, as soon as we sort of solidified some of the mechanics around how this rapping based gameplay would look, I was just immediately, I think Latoya and I were just like, we need to talk to Samus like right now. <laughs> and yeah. 
back when I was at ESPN, we would pass around Sam's mixtapes, especially like Project M and all the stuff she had with Metroid. So she was just perfect in so many ways. Like one, just coming from a black female perspective. Two, like she spits hot fire. Like yeah. her lyrics are so amazing. And then three, she's so familiar with video games because she grew up loving the same stuff. And again, like, you know, we talk about what we love. Sam is in a Metroid project. Like this is not what people tend to stereotype. So she was down, you know, she got in the lab and spent weeks trying to figure out how do you take this process that she just knows from her soul, from her gut, and then translate that into playable. Translate that with uh, with the help of Ethan Red, who's also on our team, is an amazing, um, you know, art director and, you know, technical artist. And, you know, Ethan really, with Tara and Samus, really hammered out how we would take the act of creating rhymes and make them into a game format and considering like the different types of people that would come to this game. Everybody's not going to be great at just coming off the top with their with new rides. Right. So figuring out these various difficulty levels, figuring out how do you make it feel fun, but still accessible. And that, I mean, like that spreadsheet, right, Matu? Like- <laughs> yes, we're going to do, yeah, I keep saying to Samus, there's going to be at least like three different amazing GDC talks, which can come out of her like right. process of of basically converting her practice as a rapper into gameplay she's done this incredible job and i don't know who else would have been able to approach it this way breaking down the way that she in her head writes rhymes into this like mechanized thing where we could then translate it into gameplay which has just been like really really cool and i can't wait until the game is live and we can kind of share the results of it all what I'm loving hearing about the game, in addition to just the gameplay mechanics, which mm. I think are going to be really cool, is hearing about the different ways that you've also been able to make inroads for other people of color to be able to to step onto this big project, right? It's mm-hmm. not just about, okay, we were able to make it. It's also, how do we bring in other folks who who can make these these things happen as well? Do you feel like that's that's part of your strategy from the beginning? Did you just have these folks in your network already and that's how you were able to tie them in? Or yeah. what, were some, what are some of the ways that you're able to create those spaces for other folks looking to, to attach to projects like this? Yeah, I mean, definitely one of the original intentions behind founding Glow Up is that you know, we wanted this from the beginning to be a studio that's all about being inclusive and diverse just by virtue of who the three of us as co-founders are. So that's kind of the first part of it. But then obviously that's not enough, as you say, because it's all about creating those inroads for other folks to also come up with us. And we recognize the ways in which, you know, opportunities aren't necessarily created in other other studios in sort of, you know, predominantly white studios, etc., People of all different kinds of backgrounds may not necessarily be able to thrive. We absolutely just wanted to create that environment at Glow Up. You asked the question about, did we already have these folks in our networks? I mean, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to Samus, like, yes, you know, she was already, um, you know, I, I actually originally, I saw Samus in 2008 when she played at, uh, RuffleCon. <laughs> I think that's oh, wow. the first time I saw her. And then, um, I think Latoya was like good friends with her as well. And so she's in our networks. And then Ethan, I also knew because, you know, he's obviously just this amazing, um, uh, you know, amazing all around creator who's just putting so much amazing work out there into the world. Yeah. Um, and I think I originally met him actually at, Game Devs of Color Expo, which, you know, Same. shout out to that place because that's where I think you and I first met, Josh. Yeah, absolutely. We wanted to reach out to our networks, but at the same time, you know, 
I have so many, I'm, and I'm just going to say this, I'm just going to get really real, but like, <laughs> I have so many white friends who have, you know, in the past, like have had like aspired to start game studios and they'll say things like, um, oh yeah, you know, I'm going to start a game studio and I'm going to hire all my friends and it's going to be me and my friends like working on cool projects. And depending on what your background is, that often means your friends will look like you. You know, that's one right. way in which these things perpetuate, in which, you know, studios who all just like look the same, uh, and by look the same, I absolutely mean straight whites as men, you know, that's, that's absolutely how these things perpetuate. And I think yep. for us at Glow Up, we wanted to, we wanted to disrupt that. We wanted to open it up to our networks, but then also, you know, just, really be conscientious about who we're hiring and making sure we're casting as wide a net as possible, hiring the best people for the job. And that's what we're also doing. It so happens that a lot of the best people for the job we know are people of color. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, that's my rant over. <laughs> no, no, that's real. That's that's real. And knowing all of the knowing the people that you've brought up, like these are yeah. amazing, talented creators. You see all of these people who are independently doing their own work. Now you have these opportunities to attach to a not only larger recognition name in that it's a show on HBO, but it also allows you to jump into this mainstream audience, right? A you're stepping a little bit outside of the traditional game space and trying to create a product that reaches to a new demographic. And I think about this in particular because it's a it's a mobile free-to-play game. Knowing that you have this this passion for some of the more traditional game space, what are some of the ways that you are creating an experience that's tailored for people who might not be traditional gamers? Yeah, so that, I mean, that's something we think about a lot, especially considering the demographics of Insecure. It's one of the reasons why we made a mobile game. Um, initially, when we talked about Glow Up and starting Glow Up, we wanted to do AR games. <laughs> but yeah. Experience in it, um, me from the producer side and the two from the creator side and the developer side. But we had initially started wanting to do AR stuff. But when we got the opportunity to pitch HBO for Insecure, one of the things we noticed was kind of like, okay, what is the most accessible platform? for people playing, especially because like one of the things we uh, started discovering early on was that there was just kind of no data around the types of people who we felt like would be the core audience for our game. So even we're making personas, and I mean, like I said, Tara shipped a million games, a million, okay, maybe 10. But so she <laughs> sent some personas from, you know, other, you know, things to that she's worked on to show me kind of what the example was. And I was like, wow, everybody's white. There's no, or maybe occasionally there's an Asian, but there's nobody that's like brown skinned in these personas. And I feel like that's indicative of how the game industry looks at their audience in general. And so we knew for this one, we wanted heavy crossover between people who didn't necessarily consider themselves gamers, wouldn't necessarily be consuming games media, um, but love the show, love Issa Rae, and were fans. And we're like, okay, how do we reach these people? How do we reach, what do they like? What do they do? And the thing that we've been finding is that most of them do play and they do love to play games. They just don't talk about it. Sure. And so, you know, uh, we were at the uh, Wings pitch competition. So Mitu is a member of the Wing, which is like this uh, kind of posh women's social club for business and entrepreneur focus. And they had a pitch perfect competition. And so we were in this audience of women that was at least like 200, maybe 300 people. And Tara was asked, you know, how many of you consider yourselves gamers? And only six people put their hands up, like almost none. And then when she started naming titles, like have you played Home Skates? Have you played Kim Kardashian's Hollywood? Have you played Candy Crush? Have you played suddenly like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, and I love Kingdom Hearts. Oh, oh, and you know, I'm into this game too. And I, I'm a big fan of this. And you're like, yeah, yeah, you play games. You just don't think of yourself as playing games. 
And so we realized we had to do something different and speak to these audiences. The other thing too is that um, African Americans have been really poorly represented in games. Stereotypical representations. Uh, Samus and I were at the Black Girl Magic panel at MAGFest this year because we go to MAGFest. <laughs> so we were at the Black Girl Magic panel at MAGFest and like we were just listening to all these Black women talk about like what stresses them out about the games they love and the games they play and like it's like why do they always mess our hair up why do we always have to look ugly why is it always a struggle porn like a struggle porn thing why is it always we have to overcome slavery or civil rights and like we're literally like gripping hands like oh my god we wish we could tell them what we're doing right now because they need to know this is coming yeah so you know we thought really hard about kind of what needed to be in the world and what types of things make things feel authentic. So one of the things that was the biggest, one of the biggest challenges to solve was language, right? Issa and them use a real specific type of language, mm -hmm. right? It's slang, but it's also LA influenced slang. It's also a very black way of speaking. Um, and it's it was a little bit of a challenge to find the right writing team. I had come from a writing background and published in you know, 50 or so outlets, done tons of stuff and work in my career. Uh, never written a game before. And so I was like, okay, well, logically coming from this other area I was going okay well who are the great like black narrative writers that are out there that we can just kind of plug in and get them excited about this project and they can go and I ended up calling uh, Evan Narcisse like I said we've been friends a long time we both used to write for the Gawker Network yeah and he now does games consulting and narrative consulting and you know and writing popular comics for Black Panther yeah <laughs> don't forget that right. uh, comic writing is very close to games writing it's the yeah. closest thing and so you know so I call Evan and I'm stressed out and I'm like Evan um <laughs> I'm not finding anybody to help me out with this project. And he's like, um, there's not that many of us here. Like, he was like, it's me and it's you. And, uh, you know, I know some other people of color, they're not black, but, you know, kind of brown. Like, maybe there's six of us. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like, it was just a real eye opener. Um, and, you know, we talk about this in Hollywood too. Like, it's the same problem, but the scale in gaming is so much more different, uh, so much larger. Uh, the scope of the problem, like we as African, you know, as black people, we can't even say African-American because globally, if they're counting, you know, Brits, they're counting folks from the Caribbean, right. depending on the survey, one to 3% of the industry total. They don't break that out into where it's just, we are one to 3%. Half the time IGDA skips the diversity conversation in their panels. They look at gender and they'll talk about occasionally like disability, but they don't really talk about race too often. And so we were like, okay, where are we even starting from with this? Um, so a lot of the work was finding folks who could nail the voice. And so we really looked at um, looking at young writers and looking at people who came from a television background. Mm -hmm. It's a harder jump to come from television, which is normally a very linear story that you control a lot, to you know interactive media, which is <laughs> branching narrative, which is different types of choices, which there's systems thinking and systems design that has to be involved. And that's a lot for somebody that's coming from TV and is used to kind of just kind of refining the character and going. Um, but so, you know, we got some great people involved. We got Rakashi. Oh, fantastic. Um, you know, Justin Ellis has helped out. We had uh, Stella Sacco, who was uh, consulting and helping to support you know, some of the early days of trying to figure things out. Uh, Nikki Lynette, who's from Sugar Gamers with my good friend Keisha Howard. Uh, they are partnering with us on this launch. Doing, like their amazing network they built over like 11 years. Um, I've been friends with Keisha, but at least 10 of those 11, um, but using their network to also like find us other like black creators, black gamers, black game creators. And then for us just going, okay, we need to just teach you guys how to write to the game that we're building. And the other issue was we're building a game that hadn't been seen before. <laughs> it wasn't, there wasn't a really great roadmap. Right. Um, I think, Mitsu, what do we describe it as? RPG light? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think to speak to what you're saying there, Latoya, I think this ties into your previous question as well, Josh, about like, you know, making making inroads for other creators of color, because I definitely think, you know, one of the things we're doing at Glow Up is, you know, we want this to be a place where we can, you know, wel- welcome young creators of color and people who like perhaps don't come from a, a games heavy background, even if they're, you know, even if they're not young, you know, not, not trying to discriminate on age here, but like, sure. <laughs> you know, but even if they come from a different background and, you know, we recognize that this is a place where they can be supported and sort of tooled up with the resources that they need in order to, for us to just be able to make the best games that we can, we can make uh, with the best people. So that's definitely one of the things that we're trying to do. Speaking about sort of, you know, people who don't traditionally identify as gamers, we actually interestingly found that with Issa herself as well. Isn't that right, Latoya? Like, so we... Do you want to tell the story? You tell the story. Yeah, I mean, so, okay, this kind of speaks to how supportive HBO have been uh, of us as a studio, which is, you know, very unusual for basically, you know, any kind of partnership deal like this. They, you know actually flew us out to LA to meet with Issa like a couple of times and the first time we went to meet her she was amazing like we were all we were all super nervous because we just love her um (laughs) but there was nothing to be nervous about at all because she was just incredible and she was so just um so smart and attentive and all the things that you like hope that she would be she was that and more we came in because we had no idea of like her sort of games playing background and things like that. And as soon as she was just like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, um, me and my friends are playing this one particular game, uh, you know, <laughs> with- The uh, monster uh, one, right? My Singing Monster. Yeah, like singing, My Singing Monster on oh, Moog. She okay. and her friends were all just like playing that. And we were like, oh, okay, she gets, she gets games. She gets mobile games. And of course she does because everybody does to an extent, right? Like, you know, these, you know, people who don't, as we've said, think of themselves as playing games are absolutely playing games. And yeah, she was really smart about games and she's been just so incredibly supportive of this project. So yeah, it's been amazing, amazing working with her. Oh, that's fantastic. It's funny you bring that up because I realize that even in asking that question of like, how do you appeal to traditional gamers? Like even I, as somebody who's trying to to advocate for that, like, let's make sure we know everybody is a gamer. Like that question still kind of feeds into that idea. Like there are people who are not gamers or or yeah. are not, not considered gamers because they're not playing like on a PS4 or a PC, but there's such a wide space. Mobile is a huge market where tons of folks are spending their time and especially right now when everybody is social distancing, you know, is there are so many ways that people are engaging with each other through games on all all kinds of different platforms. It's yeah. really cool that you have this chance to be able to. Uh, yeah, I think it's reach. important to realize that, you know, the, it's important to realize that the term like core gamer or traditional gamer is absolutely just a construct of marketing. That's all it is, right? If you look up old posters from like Nintendo and like even like the Atari 2600, it was all marketed towards families. It's interesting to see, you know, if you look at the history of games culture uh, and games marketing, the way that that has kind of shifted because of marketing and because of all these things. So yeah, it's absolutely just a, it's like gamer is a social construct ultimately. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, also when you talk about traditional, right, or casual, like what, what does that even mean? So like one of the yeah. things we started looking at with the research of kind of like who is, who would be considered a gamer? And of course, like a lot of times, you know, Mitu, Tara and ourselves, myself don't come up. We're not as part of like someone's reference point or image, even though 
All of us have owned multiple consoles. Two of them are PC players. I'm a consoler, which is keeping Again, it Again, I'm going to bring up my CS 1.6 trophy. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I mean, we've all been playing for a long time. This isn't some like, oh, let's jump on this wave because gaming is cool. We've all been playing for years. For me, 30. 30 years in. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> and so, um, but this idea that like, oh, well, if you're not this, you're not that, then you're not a real gamer. These gamers are casual, right? We were talking to actually um, a young woman who's very active in the VR space and she's, you know, like a VR founder. And she started a conversation the same way, like, oh, I'm not really a gamer. I don't really play anything. And then she was like, except, you know, I'm really into uh, Conquest, the Game of Thrones game on mobile. And I've got a server and I'm on Discord and it's like me and the Valkyries and my girlfriend doesn't know <laughs> that I spent $500 in this game because she would be horrified and like, <laughs> Our other friend who's like our business partner is like, I didn't even know this about you. <laughs> like, is that the definition of casual? Like somebody who spent 500 bucks and like, you know, dozens of hours per week playing and they're super hardcore and they've got a Discord server. I don't feel like, I feel like those are very outmoded kind of, you know, as Mitch has been saying, kind of marketing constructs that were trying to be effective when you want to differentiate a market, but have become super harmful in the gaming mm-hmm. industry because now you can't even see who's already here. You can't even see what's in front of you. Um, a lot of times when we're talking to different audiences, one of the things I bring up is like, look, the mobile market is $68 billion. It's <laughs> a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Women are 63% of that. These aren't you know, made up numbers. Like this is who's spending their cash and where they're spending it. And then if you look at console, it's 50% or close to it, like 49, 48. And if you look at PC, it's also close to 50%. So what are we really talking about here when you're trying to say that, you know, some people are casual? What is casual? How are you defining casual? Or is it just like these games that I don't want to play? Because as far as I'm concerned, especially when I worked at ESPN, all these guys who are like, oh, yeah, I'm a gamer. And it's like, wait, you just play NBA 2K? You play NBA 2K on the weekends and that's what you consider yourself? Bruh, seriously. But... <laughs> But again, they would not be challenged in the same way. And I think that a lot of the work that we're doing is getting people to understand that like they too have a place at this table. Yeah. Well, gracious. There, I feel like this conversation could go on for, for another hour easily. Thank you so much <laughs> for, for spending some time here to talk about the game. Um, I do want to wrap up with the same question that we usually ask all of our interviewees. If you had to give somebody your IntelliGame, a game that you feel like changes the way that you think about games or a game that you think is just generally important in the space, what would your game be? Uh, there are so many sort of contemporary examples of just amazing work that indie developers are doing, which, you know, really push the boundaries of the ways that, uh, of, you know, the conversations that we're having in games. I want to shout out to uh, the game We Should Talk, which I believe is going to be out this summer, mm-hmm. which is actually one of the NYU Game Center incubator games. And Jordan Jones Brewster, who's actually doing some writing for Insecure the Come Up game as well, worked on that. But yeah, I mean, I think I want to shout out to that. And also, you know, a lot of the creators who are doing uh, really cool work in terms of the ways that we tell stories um to shout out another game from someone on the glow up team so skate and date from geneva haywood so geneva's an intern uh, at glow up and they've been doing just incredible work telling stories in this sort of very interesting uh sort of non-traditional way of you know using both rhythm action mechanics but then also telling the story of queer relationships so yeah i think there's just a, a ton of interesting work happening out there so shout out to anyone making games at the margins you're all pushing the boundaries of what IntelliGames are? Um, I think for me, my core is always RPGs. 
And I always love like everything from Final Fantasy X to Shadow Hearts Covenant to Persona 5. I just discovered the Persona series and like, that was ridiculous. <laughs> I don't have a life no more and I just give them my yeah. money. But I think if I wanted somebody to understand like what makes a game compelling, what makes it interesting, I would probably point them back to the Zelda games. And like, this was a recent recognition. Like if you'd asked me this question, you know, eight months ago, I would have been, I would probably would not have put this up. But I realized, like, again, when I think about how long I've been playing, and I started with the original, like, gold cartridge link for NES, and I, you know, me and my son just played Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. And I was like, my God, I've been playing Link for 30 freaking years. And the <laughs> way in which they keep the series fresh, I feel like is a history in gaming to itself. The way in which there's been cel-shaded Link, there's been Korean Link, there's been Time Match Link, there's been a lot of dramas, there's always dungeons, there's always puzzles, there's always different things. Um, but the way that they keep trying to reinvent the series, I feel like is an education to itself of how gaming has evolved. And so to me, that would be my IntelliGame, looking at the Legend of Zelda series and seeing all the different ways in which they've taken this franchise and kept it not only alive, but like refreshing and engaging for 30 plus years. Well, Latoya, Mitsu, thank you so much for your time and congratulations on your new project. Looking forward to uh, seeing it when it releases. Thank you. You can find more information about Mitu, Latoya, and Glow Up Games by visiting their website, glowup.games. Insecure, the come-up game, releases sometime during Season 4 of Insecure, which premieres on HBO on April 12th. Thank you for listening, everyone. For more information about IntelliGame, you can go over to the homepage IntelliGame.us or find us on social media at IntelliGameUs. You can also subscribe to our newsletter, intgm.us slash newsletter. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week. And until then, keep IntelliGaming.